Back in the 70s, the mantra for teens was peace and love. In the 80s, the mantra for most teen boys was skate or die. Flash forward 20 years, and what do our youths care about? What's the Wi-Fi password? Thank you for tuning into What's the Wi-Fi Password, a place where we have discussions about topics and issues that are relevant to the teens in our generation and how to point them towards the gospel. If you have any questions or would like to learn more about this podcast, please email Joshua Shively at joshuas at calvary.com. Tonight, we're going to start going through the book of Jonah. And Jonah is a, a great picture of someone who, to be honest, really didn't do a great job of following God. Someone that's kind of an example of like, yeah, like, like someone who it's really easy to read and be like, man, Jonah's awful. I'm nothing like that. But then like the author kind of gets you to be like, actually, you are. So that's what we're going to get to see with the book of Jonah. Uh, we're going to see that he was a man with a, a very sinful heart, a heart that really went against the heart of God. But we're going to see what our God does to lead him and guide him and pull him back to really direct his life to be closer and more like the God that he kind of claims to worship, the God that we want to worship. So with that, let's pray. And then we'll get into the book of Jonah this evening. Father, we thank you so much for the word that you've placed before us. Lord, as we read this story that, Lord, I know for many of us is familiar We pray that no familiarity or, Lord, boredom or distraction or anything like that would come between us and hearing the message you have for us. Lord, we pray that this evening we would have open ears and soft hearts. Lord, that we would listen to the words that you have to say. And Father, that your words would really shape and change who we are. Lord, we want more than just knowledge about you, but Lord, we want a heart that is pointed towards you, and we want a heart that looks like yours. So, Father, we pray that you would do this work in us. Glorify your Son this evening through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So I actually want to start our series in the book of Jonah by reading a verse from Psalm 86. Don't worry about turning there. We've got a slide for it, so you can read it up on the screen. Uh, There, it's the second slide. There we go. So Psalm 86, verse 11 David is the author here, and he says this prayer. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. So I start with that verse, because I really feel like this verse does a great job of capturing the theme of the book of Jonah, and does a good job of capturing pretty a major theme of what the Christian life looks like. And the thing I want you to notice, first of all, by that verse is notice that this is a prayer that is really all about God, right? There's three times here where David says the word your, right? As he prays this prayer, as he sings this song, he says to God, he's he's saying things like, Lord, I want your way and your truth and your name. Right, This is a song that's all about getting in line with who God is, 
with what God says and with what God is doing. The author here is saying, God, I want to be like you. I want to do the things you do. I want to believe the things you say are true. And the goal for us of the Christian life is really to live a life that is for God, meaning that we are doing the things that God says is good, that we are on board with his mission, his vision for love and for the world, that we are joining in with him. Our goal is to be with God, to know him, to enjoy him, to worship him, to hear his voice, to spend time with him. And we want to be relying on God. We want to live a life where we say it's not all about what can I do, what do I know, what can I accomplish, but a life that looks to our Father and says, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I believe in you. Lord, I am counting on you. And so in doing that, we really need a prayer like this one in Psalm 86. Because one danger that we fall into a lot as human beings is we kind of like to take that verse in Psalm 86 And we like to swap around the pronouns. And we like to make it a song that says more of like, let me teach you my way, O Lord, that I may walk in my truth. Lord, unite my heart or or guide your heart or others' hearts to fear my name. Right? You're probably not getting up in the morning praying like that. At least I hope you're not. If you are, like... Talk to your small group leader. I'm glad you're praying. We're going to give you some pointers on what to pray next. But I think that, that that's something that's kind of really sneaky in us. Right? As we think about God's way, God's truth, God's name. There's a temptation in all of us to say, you know what? I, I'm not a fan of God's way. I want to try it my way. I want to go the direction I want. I want to chase after the things that I want. I want to live the way I want. Where we look at God's truth and say, man, that's confusing. Man, that's hard. Man, I'm not on board with that. That's different from what I want. And so we chase after what we would say is my truth. Or where we say instead of God's name, it's our name. Instead of saying, Lord, I want to live for your glory. Lord, I want to live to where it's not I, but to Christ gets the glory. We want to live to where God is actually giving us glory. Where God is kind of there almost as like a butler for us where he's the God that you pray to when things are hard, and he like comes swooping in, he's like a fairy godmother, he's like, hey, here's everything you need, like, let me grant those wishes for you. He's like the genie in Aladdin. And, like, we kind of want a God that looks like that. But here's the problem with that. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand that our way is not the way. Right, you know what the way is? The way is Jesus. Jesus says that he is the way. And oftentimes, our way of doing things, our way of living, it's usually selfish, meaning it's, it's more about us than God or others. And oftentimes, if you're anything like me, it's kind of foolish, meaning it really doesn't work out as well as you're hoping it will. And then second, our truth is not the truth. Again, Jesus is the truth. When Jesus says he is the way, he also says he's the truth. Our truth, oftentimes it's our opinions and our experience, which is valid, which is important, right? The things that we think and believe and value, the experiences we've had, those are good, those are important, but they need to be submitted under the truth of Jesus. We need to learn how to see those and live those out by going under what Jesus says, what the Bible says. And then lastly, our name is not the name. 
Jesus is the name above all names. And us, our, our name will be changed by Jesus, which is a beautiful thing. That when we look at the book of Revelation, it says that he gives us a new name. It's part of what comes with being adopted into his family. But our name is not going to be like, like the gold plaque in heaven, right? You're not going to go to heaven and see like one of those like benches where it's like, this bench is in memory of Bill O'Reilly, who, that's a song. <laughs> like who wrote a great song in the 19th, oh, that's right, follow O'Reilly. That was totally wrong. Right, who like did so and so. You're not gonna go to heaven like walk in through the pearly gates where it's like dedicated to Jack McGlasson, who is the real MVP of this place. Right? Jack's great. And man, if like I'm hope like I was about to say again, like, if he gets into heaven, like it's up to you. Right? It's up to you and the Lord. It's not hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, hey, it's an if for me too. It's by the grace of God. Right? That's what it comes down to. And so, like, we're gonna walk in, we receive glory that God wants to honor us, God wants to give us that, but it's not all about us. Heaven's not gonna be a place where we're like taking turns with the throne. No, the throne belongs to Jesus. It is his name that is above all names. So I share that to start because our lives need to be directed towards God at all times. But how? Because even when we want to do this, it can be extremely difficult. Right? This is not an easy way to live. I love what the author C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia said. He said, you don't realize how bad you are until you try very hard to be good. He says, we can kind of sit there and look at ourselves and be like, I'm not, I'm not a pretty good guy or gal. But then if you try and you sit there and say, okay, every single thing I'm going to do today is going to be good, you realize how hard that is. You realize how easy it is to do what is bad. And so this idea of wanting to have our whole hearts and minds and lives devoted to God and obedient to God, it is a challenging thing, even if you really want it, even if that is your absolute number one goal. And that's why I like the book of Jonah so much. Because Jonah, as we'll see, he's not a hero. The story of Jonah is not, this guy pulled it off, so be more like him. No, the story of Jonah is the story, really, of a dud, of a failure, of a quitter, of someone who had written out in front of him the mission God gave him, and he just said no, and he rejected it. Jonah, as we're going to come to see in these four chapters, is really all about his way, is really all about his truth, and is really all about his name, which is those things that I said is very easy for us to accidentally slip into. But also, and more importantly, in the book of Jonah, we're going to see that we have a God who is at work in producing this inside of us. That God is not giving us this task saying, make your whole life be about me, and then standing at the end of the road just waiting for us to get there. Right? Our God is not a God who says, all right, if you want to know me, you have to hike hundreds of miles. You have to climb Mount Everest. When you get up there, I'll be waiting for you. No, we have the God who is with us. 
We have a God who is guiding us all along the way. And we have a God who, when we fail, when we do go to our way, our truth, our name, he is right there ready to pull us back with him. He is at work making our hearts pure from the inside out. Right? That is our hope. I love Colossians chapter 1. Paul talks about this great mystery that we have as Christians, that this is the victory, the mysterious victory we have, is that Jesus Christ dwells in us and that he is our hope of glory. That's the theme that we're going to see in the book of Jonah. So with that, let's jump into his story and see what he does. Let's read the first three verses together. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So, here we're introduced to the prophet Jonah. And he hears a message from God with a job to do. It's pretty clear cut, right? God tells him, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. So God tells Jonah, there's this city called Nineveh. They're awful there. They're doing a lot of evil things. Go to them and tell them, hey, you're doing really evil things. So much so that God is noticing. Those are that God sees, he's aware, and he is ready to step in to put a stop to it. And he says, so go and do that. But what does Jonah do? Well, he does the exact opposite. Right? We've got a map as the next slide, if you want to put that up, Yava. Right? This is what Jonah does. Right? You see those two arrows there to Joppa and Nineveh? Jonah, at the start, is kind of like right in the middle of them. And so he's got a choice. He's told by God, hey, travel north, go to Nineveh and preach to them. But he goes south to Joppa and then gets on a boat west to Tarshish, which at that point in time, for like their mindset of what the world looked like, to them, Tarshish was the end of the earth. Right? That was the last stop on the line. Right? If you got to Tarshish, you're not going any further than that. So Jonah's idea here is God told me to go there. I'm going to go the furthest possible distance I can to get away from God and to get away from the mission that he sent me on. That's Jonah's goal. He goes way out of the way of God's mission. This would be like if, if we sat here, maybe during worship, all of a sudden, like Emily gets this message. Where she's like, God's speaking to her. says, Emily. I want you to travel south to Los Angeles. And I want you to tell the people there about me. And so Emily hears that and is like, I know what I have to do. And she gets her dad to drive her north to San Francisco so that she could get on a plane and fly to Japan. And she's like, that's it, right? I'm getting as far away from there as possible. That's what Jonah does, right? He gets as far away as he possibly can from this mission that God has sent him to. So a great question that we should ask is why is Jonah doing this? Why does he? And the answer might surprise you, right? I, I'm curious to hear what you guys think. Why do you think Jonah is running away? What's your thought? Yeah. Because he was scared that the enemies of the Hebrews are 
Yeah, okay, he's scared of them. That's a good one. Howdy? Okay. Yeah, Connor. Well, maybe he might think that the people in Nineveh, if they don't, if he tries to speak to God about them, uh, to, about God to them, that they might try to like hurt him or something. Okay. So you, oh, it sounds like you three are all kind of in agreement. He, he's he's scared that Nineveh is gonna be against him, that they're gonna at at best like shame him and kick him out, but at worst maybe even like attack him, right? So Jackson, what are you thinking? Okay. Ellie? Uh, well, for one, God said that they, did, they were doing evil things. So mm-hmm. God said that I would open the door. Okay. I'll take two more, Ethan and Malachi. Do you think he thinks that God will protect him through, through that? Um, okay. Like, maybe he thinks that God will be there for him. Mm-hmm. Okay, so somewhere you're kind of adding to it, like, you're agreeing with them if he's like afraid of the Ninevites. But you're going a step further and you're saying he doesn't think God is going to protect him from them. Okay, Malachi. Maybe you haven't believed that the Ninevites were worthy of God's uh, protection, so he thinks that God should destroy them. Okay. Man, you're, you're on the track. Yeah. Oh, here's, here's the reason why. Right? I think all of you, I think everything you said, there's probably some truth to all of it. But Jonah himself will actually give a reason for this in chapter 4. And the reason actually comes out is it's kind of surprising. The reason Jonah runs away is because he knows God. He knows who God is. And in fact, he actually knows God really well. But in this moment, in this situation, he really doesn't like God very much. He knows who God is, but he doesn't really like God. Now here's what I've got to say. Knowing God is an incredibly valuable thing. You should know God. In fact, we spent the last three months on Tuesday nights learning about how do we know God? How do we spend time with Him? How do we hear from Him? How do we experience His presence? But what I want to offer to you tonight is that we need more than just a knowledge about God. We also need a heart of obedience to God. We need a heart that loves God that looks at God and says, man, this God is incredible. He loves me so much. I love him and I want to live and walk as he is. That second step, this is what we're going to come to see that Jonah is lacking. And it would be this unbalance that he has where he's got a lot of knowledge about God, but at least in this case, he doesn't have a lot of love or obedience for God. We're going to see that that imbalance is actually what's going to cause him to run away from this mission. So here's the next couple of verses I want to share with you guys. Yeva, we've got them on the next two slides, actually. It's from Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. Jonah, he'll quote these verses to God in chapter 4. Like I said, he's going to tell God in a few chapters. The reason I ran away from you, he's going to say, is because I know what type of God you are. And these are the verses he's going to quote. Let's read them together. It says, The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, that Y-H-W-H. It was the way the Hebrew people would write God's name. They left out the vowels on purpose because they thought, they, they saw that name as so honorable, as so glorious, that they didn't want to write it down because they knew God gave the command saying, do not take God's name in vain. 
So they had this fear that if you even read God's name by accident and didn't have enough like, like love and respect and worship in your heart, that you would be sinning against them. So they just wrote down the consonants, Y-H-W-H. A lot of people pronounce it as Yahweh. But God calls out his name Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation. So Jonah, he knows these qualities about God. He knows the truth about God, that God is compassionate. He's merciful. He's slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. Jonah knows things about God like we saw in verse 7 that he knows that God is quick to forgive sin. Right? Jonah knows these things. If you're kind of getting tripped up by that latter portion about like, it's fine, about like the, uh, like he shows love to thousands, but then he has judgment down to like the third and fourth generation. That word generation, it's actually not in the Hebrew. It's just a Hebrew term that they would use where they would say down to the third and the fourth. And if you say that like today in English, it kind of doesn't make sense. Like if you sit there and say like, man, I eat pizza down to the third and the fourth. You're probably sitting there like, I've got no clue how much pizza you just ate. Right? It could be like half a pizza, but the third and the fourth, I also, it could be 12. Like are they multiplied? Are you talking like to the power of three or four? Like, are you sitting there eating like 27 pizzas at the end of the day? Right? When they would say that, it was a phrase that basically meant like he, he would go a few steps further. Right? So the third and the fourth means that it would continue on. But then when he says, I show love to thousands, it's kind of God's way of putting those two next to each other, saying, yeah, I bring the punishment of sin to the third and the fourth, but forgiveness and love to the thousand, right? It's God's way of spelling out like, yes, sin is serious. Sin is something that I am prepared to judge as far as it needs to. And he adds with that, but my love goes beyond that. My love is far. My forgiveness is great. It is incredible. And so Jonah, he knows that this is true about God. And this is something that he actually doesn't like about God. Because you see, Jonah really hates Nineveh. That kind of goes off what you brought up, Malachi, of thinking that maybe he didn't see the Ninevites as a people who were worthy of God. I think that's spot on. And I think Jonah would even take it a step further. It's not just that he doesn't think they're worthy of God, but he hates them. He thinks they're cursed by God and should be destroyed by God. To Jonah, Nineveh, they are the bad guys. right? They're the murderers the invaders, they're sinners, and they're Gentiles. They're people that are different from him. They're not a part of God's chosen people. And so to Jonah, he looked at them, Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. Assyria is like the big bad guys to Israel at this point, the people that they're constantly attacked by, constantly at war with, constantly afraid of. And Nineveh is their capital. So it's like they are bad guy number one, in the country, that's bad guy number one to Jonah. So to give a picture, right, Jonah's view of Nineveh 
is think of whatever group of people you think is the worst. Maybe you're someone here and you're like, I don't think any group of people is the worst. And God bless like your purity. God bless your innocence there. Right? Think about, like, if you think, like, ISIS, right? These yeah. terrorists, maybe you're afraid of them. Maybe you look at that and think, man, that, that's horrible, the things that they do. Think, like, Nazis. Like, back in the day, like, German Nazis, but also today, like, white supremacists, like, very hateful, racist-type Nazis. Think of whatever group you think about that you kind of look at. Maybe it's bullies in your school. Maybe it's a certain category of people that you see on the news or that you hear your parents talk about or that you've noticed like in your sports team or at your school. Just think about whatever that is. That's how Jonah viewed Nineveh, but a lot further. Because Jonah's view of Nineveh was probably, man, these people attacked my neighbors. These people may have killed friends of Jonah. These people have gone to war probably with people that Jonah knew, so he hated them. Jonah hates Nineveh, but as I said, he also knows who God is. And tracing back, right, to that verse in Exodus 34, and also to Psalm 86, here's something that Jonah knows. That if our God is a God of steadfast love and mercy and forgiveness, and that we're called to walk in God's way, to share in God's heart, to believe God's truth, to honor God's name, well, Jonah knows that God's way is to forgive and that God's heart is to love. Jonah knows that that's true about God. And so when God sends him to preach about Nineveh, he has this suspicion where he knows, God, you're loving, you're merciful, you're gracious, you love to forgive people. And so Jonah's saying, there and he's thinking, man, I'm going to preach about them and say, you're doing everything wrong and God's ready to judge you. But he's saying, but something's going to happen. Right? God is sharing this so that they'll repent, so that they'll be forgiven, so that instead of facing judgment and destruction, they'll face life and forgiveness, and they'll walk in love with God. So Jonah, he is not ready to get behind that. As he looks at Nineveh, he thinks, God, I hate them, and so should you. I want them judged and destroyed, and so should you. I don't think they should be forgiven, and so you should not forgive them. So because of that, Jonah dips. He rejects God and rejects the mission that God has given to him. Let's continue in Jonah's story and read to the end of chapter 1. It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. 
the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Verse 17, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So, Jonah's story, it continues on. He gets on this boat sailing to the ends of the earth as they saw it. And while they're on the boat, this crazy storm picks up. I think it's very fitting that we're getting the weather we're getting tonight on the night that we start Jonah. Because to Monterey, California, this is a crazy storm that we've got going on tonight. Right? He's out at sea. They've got this crazy storm. But Jonah, where's he? He's asleep. He's below deck. He's taking a nap. And all of a sudden, the captain runs down, wakes him up. And he's just like, hey, we know this is someone's fault. Right? That sounds like such an older brother thing, in my opinion. Right? My older brother, he would like be playing. <laughs> Jackson. He would, like, my older brother would like play a video game. And I would be like, outside like 500 feet away he would lose and he'd be like Andy you made me lose it's just like how is it my fault right but they're coming down they're like this is someone's fault right so they bring everyone up and they cast lots it's kind of like rolling dice right it's just a, like a game of chance to say all right who who is it what will the lot fall on that was actually a way that God kind of somewhat commonly spoke to the people of Israel in the Old Testament yeah you have a They were similar. I don't, does anyone, Tate, you went to Bible college, you know how a lot works? Um, yes. Well, yeah, they would, cap, they would take, like, dice, basically, throw it all in, and then someone with the higher, yeah. Kind of like drawing straws and rolling dice yeah, mixed. Yeah, kind of. But it, different things meant different, like, different numbers that you would roll meant different things. Yeah. Hmm. So it's, it's like a lot that goes into it. A lot that goes into it. Yes. I heard the Yeah. Yeah. That's, like a, that's a good way to think about it. It's like they're drawing straws. And so the lot, it falls on Jonah. And so they start hounding him. Like, where are you from? What do you do? What, what country are you from? What God do you worship? And then Jonah answers. And I love Jonah's answer. I think... It does such a good job of showing what God is doing at this moment. Because Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. And so they asked Jonah, hey, what, what should we do? How do we get God to not be mad at us? What do we need to do to you? And Jonah says, you've got to throw me into the ocean. Right? That's the answer Jonah comes to. And now for a moment, you might sit there and think, man, Jonah, he's really owning up to this sin. 
This is really noble. He's sitting here like, I'm ready to sacrifice myself to save these people. I really, I missed my shot with Nineveh, but I'm going to do it now. I'm going to sacrifice myself to save them. But a lot of people disagree with that. I'm one of them. I actually think Jonah's doubling down on the first sin that he did. I could picture something going through Jonah's mind right here thinking, we're probably all going to die on this ship, right, with this storm. So if they throw me into the sea, I'll die. I still don't have to go preach to Nineveh. Like, it's kind of like a win-win, right? I, I, I pull that off still. I could see that that is what Jonah's thinking. So, Connor? Uh, in my version, it says, instead of I worship the Lord, it says, and I fear the Lord. I fear the Lord. Yeah, that's another good term for worship. Um, and so Jonah figures that if he gets thrown into the sea, he won't have to preach to Nineveh. He'll die, and then maybe he'll get to heaven and say to God, like, hey, this didn't work out. Right, circumstances are kind of iffy. There's a storm. Like, you should have thought it through, God. But as you see, it's not how it's going to work out for Jonah. But still, I think it's important to notice that Jonah is in a really dark place here. He's in a place of very deep rebellion and sin against God. He's in a place where even though he sees that his way is literally going to lead to him dying right here, right now, he's still on board with saying, it's going to be my way first. It's going to be my way over God's way. But how is God responding with that? We see something beautiful here from God, is that we have a God who is patient and firm with Jonah. God is not letting Jonah go. But he is doing a work in his life to change his heart. He's really starting that right now. I think there's great evidence in Jonah's answer in verse 9. Right? That he's been brought to this place where he's confessing to them. But also he has to kind of remind himself who he is. That he's a Hebrew. Meaning he's an Israelite. He's one of God's chosen people. He's a descendant of Abraham, the father of faith. Right? He belongs to the Lord. He says that he worships or fears the Lord, the God of heaven. He recognizes that God is the creator. He recognizes who he is and who God is. I think this is such a blessing that God gives to Jonah in this moment. I can remember going through a pretty rough portion in my life in my sophomore year of college. Right? I've talked to you guys before that I've had a few stretches in my life where I'd say I really dealt with depression where I felt really down, really dark, and really had a lot of thoughts to, does God actually care about me? Is God actually real? Does he really love me? Is he forgiving me of all of these things? Does he forgive me of these feelings? I remember one day sitting down in uh, a quad at CSUMB, the college I went to, sitting there like under a tree, and I was trying to read the Bible. I say trying, because that was a stretch, like I would read a little bit, it would just be tough. Right, it would be a hard thing to try to hear from God there. But I remember reading it, and then someone I had a class with kind of walked up to me. He was like, hey, what are you doing? Like, we're chatting a bit. He was like, what are you reading there? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm reading the Bible. He was like, oh, you a Christian? And I was like, yeah. And I remember after that moment sitting there thinking like, man, that was, that was like a strong moment there. Because I was in a moment where I was like, man, am I a Christian Am I good enough to be a Christian? Do I still want to be a Christian? Right? If this is how hard it's going to be, if this is how I feel, is this what I'm after? Then having this moment where the Lord just brings this dude that I sit next to in class to come by and ask me, hey, are you a Christian? Do you worship God? Who are you? 
What people do you belong to? Where are you from? And be able to sit there and, and remind myself and say, yeah, I am. Yeah, I, I want that. I don't think I'm doing a good job right now. I think things are really tough right now. But that's still true. God is at work reminding Jonah of these things. God goes so far. We'll see more about this next or in three weeks. God goes so far. He has a fish swallow Jonah. Right? If you sit here and you think, man, God's, he's, he's willing to go far to save people. But is he really willing to go that far? He swallows Jonah on a fish to like bring this guy back, to transform this guy's life and his heart. Right? Man, if God is willing to do that, he's willing to walk through so much for you. He's willing to walk with you through so many dark and cramped and probably smelly places to lead you back to him, to lead you more like him. And so I share all of this to say that God is beginning a work here of Jonah, of changing his heart, of changing his attitude about himself, about God, about other people, and about life. And that we have a God who wants to do the same for you. And so as we look at a verse like Psalm 86, verse 11, as we started tonight, the expectation in reading that and sharing that is not that you just start doing it. The expectation is not, hey, I read you that verse tonight, so why aren't you that good already? Right? No, that's not going to happen. Because you know, I've read that verse quite a few times, and man, I'm still not very good at doing it. There's so many places where I want my way, my truth, my name. But what we're seeing here with Jonah and what you have been invited into by God, if you are a follower of Jesus tonight, you have been invited in to a lifelong process where God is leading you on through his word, through some ways that he'll discipline you, through discipleship, through his mercy, his love, his forgiveness, his grace, through his patience, God is leading you to be more like him. God is leading you to have his same heart, his same love for him, for yourself, and for others. God is leading Jonah that way, and he's leading you that way. So I'm looking forward to going through these last three chapters with you guys to see how God leads Jonah and to prayerfully look at how God wants to lead us as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, in this story of this man, Jonah, who, Lord, in so many ways is like us. Lord, we pray that we would be encouraged and warned by his story. Lord, we would be encouraged by your grace and mercy. But Lord, we would be warned about our sinfulness and about our, Lord, just natural pull to move away from you. So Lord, help us to become like you. Help us to see the work you're doing in our lives, that it's not a work of frustration or anger. Lord, it's one of love and patience and grace. Jesus, walk with us. Hold our hand, we pray. In your holy and true name, and all God's people said, amen. Calvary Monterey's youth ministries meet on Tuesday nights at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Monterey. Both middle school and high school students are welcome. Come on out. You belong here. And I promise, we don't bite.